section seventeen of the fortunes of nigel by sir walter scott this librivox recording is in the public domain chapter fifteen was when fleet snowball's head was waxen grey a luckless leveret met him on his way who knows not snowball he whose race renowned is still victorious on each coursing ground swaffham newmarket and the roman camp have seen them victors or each meaner stamp in vain the youngling sought with doubling wile the hedge the hill the thicket or the stile experience sage the lack of speed supplied and in the gap he sought the victim died so was i once in thy fair street st james through walking cavaliers and car-borne dames descried pursued turned o'er again and o'er coursed coated mouthed by an unfeeling boar etc 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 the park of st james's though enlarged planted with verdant alleys and otherwise decorated by charles the second existed in the days of his grandfather as a public and pleasant promenade and for the sake of exercise or pastime was much frequented by the better classes lord glenvarlock repaired thither to dispel the unpleasant reflections which had been suggested by his parting with his trusty squire ritchie manipoles in a manner which was agreeable neither to his pride nor to his feelings and by the corroboration which the hints of his late attendant had received from the anonymous letter mentioned in the end of the last chapter there was a considerable number of company in the park when he entered it but his present state of mind inducing him to avoid society he kept aloof from the more frequented walks towards westminster and whitehall and drew to the north or as we should now say the piccadilly verge of the enclosure believing he might there enjoy or rather combat his own thoughts unmolested in this however lord glenvarlock was mistaken for as he strolled slowly along with his arms folded in his cloak and his hat drawn over his eyes he was suddenly pounced upon by sir mungo malagrother who either shunning or shunned had retreated or had been obliged to retreat to the same less frequented corner of the park nigel started when he heard the high sharp and querulous tones of the knight's cracked voice and was no less alarmed when he beheld his tall thin figure hobbling towards him wrapped in a threadbare cloak on whose surface ten thousand varied stains eclipsed the original scarlet and having his head surmounted with a well-worn beaver 
bearing a black velvet band for a chain and a capon's feather for an ostrich plume lord glenvarlock would fain have made his escape but as our motto intimates a leveret had as little chance to free herself of an experienced greyhound sir mungo to continue the simile had long ago learned to run cunning and make sure of mouthing his game sir nigel found himself compelled to stand and answer the hackneyed question what news to-day nothing extraordinary i believe answered the young nobleman attempting to pass on oh ye are ganging to the french ordinary belie replied the knight but it is early day yet we will take a turn in the park in the meanwhile it will sharpen your appetite so saying he quietly slipped his arm under lord glenvarlock's in spite of all the decent reluctance which his victim could exhibit by keeping his elbow close to his side and having fairly grappled the prize he proceeded to take it in tow nigel was sullen and silent in hopes to shake off his unpleasant companion but sir mungo was determined that if he did not speak he should at least hear ye are bound for the ordinary my lord said the cynic weel ye canna do better there is choice company there and peculiarly selected as i am tauld being dootless sick as it is desirable that young noblemen should herd withal and your noble father wad have been glad to see you keeping such worshipful society i believe said lord glenvarlock thinking himself obliged to say something that the society is as good as generally can be found in such places where the door can scarcely be shut against those who come to spend their money right my lord vera right said his tormentor bursting out into a chuckling but most discordant laugh these citizen chouts and clowns will press in amongst us when there is but an inch of a door open and what remedy just e'en this that as their cash gies them confidence we should strip them of it flay them my lord singe them as the kitchen wench does the rats and when they winna long to come back again ay ay pluck them plume them and then the larded capons will not be for flying so high a wing my lord among the goshawks and sparrowhawks and the like and therewithal sir mungo fixed on nigel his quick sharp grey eye watching the effect of his sarcasm as keenly as the surgeon in a delicate operation remarks the progress of his anatomical scalpel nigel however willing to conceal his sensations could not avoid gratifying his tormentor by wincing under the operation he coloured with vexation and anger but a quarrel with sir mungo mala grother would he felt be unutterably ridiculous and he only muttered to himself the words impertinent coxcomb which on this occasion sir mungo's imperfection of organ did not prevent him from hearing and replying to ay ay 
ferretry exclaimed the caustic old courtier impertinent coxcombs they are that thus intrude themselves on the society of their betters but your lordship kens how to guard them as good ye have the trick on't they had a braw sport in the presence last friday how ye should have routed a young shopkeeper horse and foot tain his spolia o firma and of the specie he had about him down to the very silver buttons of his cloak and sent him to graze with nebuchadnezzar king of babylon muckle honour redounded to your lordship thereby we were tall the loon through his cell into the thames in a fit of desperation there's a now of them behind there was mare tint on floodden edge you have been told a budget of lies so far as i am concerned sir mungo said nigel speaking loud and sternly very likely very likely said the unabashed and undismayed sir mungo naething but lies are current in this circle so the child is not drowned then the mare's the pity but i never believe that part of the story a london dealer has mare wit in his anger i dare swear the lad has a bonny broom shank in his hand by this time and is scrubbing the kennels in quest after rusty nails to help him to begin his pack again he has three bairns they say they will help him bravely to grope in the gutters your good lordship may have the ruining of him again my lord if they have any luck in strand scouring this is more than intolerable said nigel uncertain whether to make an angry vindication of his character or to fling the old tormentor from his arm but an instant's recollection convinced him that to do either would only give an air of truth and consistency to the scandals which he began to see were affecting his character both in the higher and lower circles hastily therefore he formed the wiser resolution to endure sir mungo's studied impertinence under the hope of ascertaining if possible from what source those reports arose which were so prejudicial to his reputation sir mungo in the meanwhile caught up as usual nigel's last words or rather the sound of them and amplified and interpreted them in his own way tolerable luck he repeated yes truly my lord i'm told that you have tolerable luck and that ye can wheel how to use that jilting quain dame fortune like a canny doots lad willing to warm yourself in her smiles without exposing yourself to her frowns and that is what i call having luck in a bag sir mungo malagrother said lord Flanvarlock, turning towards him seriously have the goodness to hear me for a moment as weel as i can my lord as weel as i can said sir mungo shaking his head and pointing the finger of his left hand to his ear i will try to speak very distinctly said nigel arming himself with patience you take me for a noted gamester i give you my word that you have not been rightly informed i am none such you owe me some explanation at least respecting the source from which you have derived such false information i never heard ye were a great gamester never thought or said ye were such my lord said sir mungo who found it impossible to avoid hearing what nigel said with peculiarly deliberate and distinct pronunciation 
i repeated i never heard said or thought that you were a ruffling gamester such as they call those of the first head look you my lord i call him a gamester that plays with equal stakes and equal skill and stands by the fortune of the game good or bad and i call him a ruffling gamester or ain of the first head who ventures frankly and deeply upon such a wager but he my lord who has the patience and prudence never to venture beyond small game such as at most might crack the christmas box of a grocer's prentice who vies with those that have little to hazard and who therefore having the larger stock can always rook them by waiting for his good fortune and by rising from the game when luck leaves him such a one as he my lord i do not call a great gamester to whatever other name he may be entitled and such a mean-spirited sordid wretch you would infer that i am replied lord glenvarlock one who fears the skilful and preys upon the ignorant who avoids playing with his equals that he may make sure of pillaging his inferiors is this what i am to understand has been reported of me nay my lord you will gain naught by speaking big with me said sir mungo who besides that his sarcastic humour was really supported by a good fund of animal courage had also full reliance on the immunities which he had derived from the broadsword of sir rullian rattray and the baton of the satellites employed by the lady cockpen and for the truth of the matter he continued your lordship best knows whether you ever lost more than five pieces at a time since you frequented beaujeu's whether you have not most commonly risen a winner and whether the brave young gallants who frequent the ordinary i mean those of noble rank and means conforming are in use to play upon those terms my father was right said lord glenvarlock in the bitterness of his spirit and his curse justly followed me when i first entered that place there is contamination in the air and he whose fortune avoids ruin shall be blighted in his honour and reputation sir mungo who watched his victim with the delighted yet wary eye of an experienced angler became now aware that if he strained the line on him too tightly there was every risk of his breaking hold in order to give him room therefore to play he protested that lord glenvarlock should not take his free speech and malimpartum if you were a trifle o'er sicker in your amusement my lord it cannot be denied that it is the safest course to prevent farther endangerment of your somewhat dilapidated fortunes and if ye play with your inferiors ye are relieved of the pain of pouching the siller of your friends and equals for by that the plebeian knaves have had the advantage tecum caritasi as ajax telamon saith apud metamorphosios and for the like of them to have played with ain scottish noblemen is an honest and honourable consideration to compensate the loss of their stake whilk i dare say moreover maist of the churls can weel afford be that as it may sir mungo said nigel i would fain know ay ay interrupted sir mungo and as you say who cares whether the fat bulls of basham can spare it or no gentlemen are not to limit their sport for the like of them 
i wish to know mr mungo said lord glenvarlock in what company you have learned these offensive particulars respecting me doodless doodless my lord said sir mungo i have ever heard and have ever reported that your lordship kept the best of company in a private way there is the fine countess of blackchester but i think she stirs not much abroad since her affair with his grace of buckingham and there is the good and old-fashioned scottish nobleman lord huntingland an undeniable man of quality it is pity but he could keep cop and can fray his head whilk now and then doth minish his reputation and there is the gay young lord dalgarna that carries the craft of grey hairs under his curled lovelocks a fair race they are father daughter and son all of the same honourable family i think we need not speak of george harriet honest man when we have nobility in question so that is the company i have heard of your keeping my lord outtaken those of the ordinary my company has not indeed been much more extended than amongst those you mention said lord glenvarlock but in short to court said sir mungo that was just what i was going to say lord dalgarno says he cannot prevail on ye to come to court and that does ye prejudice my lord the king hears of you by others when he should see you in person i speak in serious friendship my lord his majesty when you were named in the circle short while since was heard to say yacta astalia glenbar lachitis is turned dicer and drinker my lord dalgarno took your part and he was e'en borne down by the popular voice of the courtiers who spoke of you as one who had betaken yourself to living a town life and risking your baron's coronet amongst the flat caps of the city and this was publicly spoken of me said nigel and in the king's presence spoken openly repeated sir mungo malagrother ay by my troth was it that is to say it was whispered privately wilk is as open promulgation as the thing permitted for ye may think the court is not like a place where men are as sib and simmy and his brethren roar out their minds as if they were at an ordinary a curse on the court and the ordinary both cried nigel impatiently with all my heart said the knight i've got little by a knight's service in the court and the last time i was at the ordinary i lost four angels may i pray of you sir mungo to let me know said nigel the names of those who thus make free with the character of one who can be but little known to them and who never injured any of them have i not told you already answered sir mungo that the king said something to that effect so did the prince too and such being the case you may take it on your corporal oath that every man in the circle who was not silent sung the same song as they did you said but now replied glenvarlock that lord dalgarno interfered in my behalf in good troth did he answered sir mungo with a sneer but the young nobleman was soon borne down by token he had something of a catarrh and spoke as hoarse as a rupit raven poor gentleman if he had had his full extent of voice he would have been as well listened to doodless as in a cause of his aim whilk no man kens better how to plead to purpose and let me ask you by the way continued sir mungo whether lord dalgarno has ever introduced your lordship to the prince or the duke of buckingham either of whom might soon carry through your suit i have no claim on the favour of either the prince or the duke of buckingham said lord glenvarlock 
as you seem to have made my affairs your study sir mungo although perhaps something unnecessarily you may have heard that i have petitioned my sovereign for payment of a debt due to my family i cannot doubt the king's desire to do justice nor can i in decency employ the solicitation of his highness the prince or his grace the duke of buckingham to obtain from his majesty what either should be granted me as a right or refused altogether sir mungo twisted his whimsical features into one of his most grotesque sneers as he replied it is a very clear and perspicuous position of the case my lord and in relying thereupon you show an absolute and unimprovable acquaintance with the king court and mankind in general but whom have we got here stand up my lord and make way by my word of honour they are the very men we spoke of talk of the devil and humph it must be here premised that during the conversation lord glenvar lock perhaps in the hope of shaking himself free of sir mungo had directed their walk towards the more frequented part of the park while the good knight had stuck to him being totally indifferent which way they went provided he could keep his talons clutched upon his companion they were still however at some distance from the livelier part of the scene when sir mungo's experienced eye noticed the appearances which occasioned the latter part of his speech to lord glenvarlock a low respectful murmur arose among the numerous groups of persons which occupied the lower part of the park they first clustered together with their faces turned towards whitehall then fell back on either hand to give place to a splendid party of gallants who advancing from the palace came onward through the park all the other company drawing off the pathway and standing uncovered as they passed most of these courtly gallants were dressed in a garb which the pencil of van dyck has made familiar even at the distance of nearly two centuries and which was just at this period beginning to supersede the more fluttering and frivolous dress which had been adopted from the french court of henri quatre the whole train were uncovered excepting the prince of wales afterwards the most unfortunate of british monarchs who came onward having his long curled auburn tresses and his countenance which even in early youth bore a shade of anticipated melancholy shaded by the spanish hat and the single ostrich feather which drooped from it on his right hand was buckingham whose commanding and at the same time graceful deportment threw almost into shade the personal demeanour and majesty of the prince on whom he attended the eye movements and gestures of the great courtier were so composed so regularly observant of all etiquette belonging to his situation as to form a marked and strong contrast with the forward gaiety and frivolity by which he recommended himself to the favour of his dear dad and gossip king james a singular fate attended this accomplished courtier in being at once the reigning favourite of a father and son so very opposite in manners that to ingratiate himself with the youthful prince he was obliged to compress within the strictest limits of respectful observance the frolicsome and free humour which captivated his aged father it is true buckingham well knew the different dispositions both of james and charles and had no difficulty in so conducting himself as to maintain the highest post in the favour of both it has indeed been supposed as we before hinted that the duke when he had completely possessed himself of the affections of charles 
retained his hold in those of the father only by the tyranny of custom and that james could he have brought himself to form a vigorous resolution was in the latter years of his life especially not unlikely to have discarded buckingham from his counsels in favour but if ever the king indeed meditated such a change he was too timid and too much accustomed to the influence which the duke had long exercised over him to summon up resolution enough for effecting such a purpose and at all events it is certain that buckingham though surviving the master by whom he was raised had the rare chance to experience no wane of the most splendid court favour during two reigns until it was at once eclipsed in his blood by the dagger of his assassin felton to return from this digression the prince with his train advanced and were near the place where lord glenvarlock and sir mungo had stood aside according to form in order to give the prince passage and to pay the usual marks of respect nigel could now remark that lord dalgarno walked close behind the duke of buckingham and as he thought whispered something in his ear as they came onward at any rate both the princes and duke of buckingham's attention seemed to be directed by such circumstance towards nigel for they turned their heads in that direction and looked at him attentively the prince with a countenance the grave melancholy expression of which was blended with severity while buckingham's looks evinced some degree of scornful triumph lord dalgarno did not seem to observe his friend perhaps because the sunbeams fell from the side of the walk on which nigel stood obliging malcolm to hold up his hat to screen his eyes as the prince passed lord glenvarlock and sir mungo bowed as respect required and the prince returning their obeisance with that grave ceremony which paid to every rank its due but not a tittle beyond it signed to sir mungo to come forward commencing an apology for his lameness as he started which he had just completed as his hobbling gait brought him up to the prince sir mungo lent an attentive and as it seemed an intelligent ear to questions asked in a tone so low that the knight would certainly have been deaf to them had they been put to him by any one under the rank of prince of wales after about a minute's conversation the prince bestowed on nigel the embarrassing notice of another fixed look touched his hat slightly to sir mungo and walked on it is even as i suspected my lord said sir mungo with an air which he designed to be melancholy and sympathetic but which in fact resembled the grin of an ape when he has mouthed a scalding chestnut ye have back friends my lord that is unfriends or to be plain enemies about the person of the prince i'm sorry to hear it said nigel but i would i knew what they accuse me of ye shall hear my lord said sir mungo the prince's bearer words sir mungo said he i rejoice to see you and am glad your rheumatic troubles permit you to come hither for exercise i bowed as in duty bound ye might remark my lord that i did so wilk formed the first branch of our conversation his highness then demanded of me if he with whom i stood was the young lord glenvarlock i answered that you were such for his highness's service wilk was the second branch thirdly his highness resuming the argument said that truly he had been told so meaning that he had been told you were the personage but that he could not believe that the heir of that noble and decayed house could be 
leading an idle scandalous and precarious life in the eating-houses and taverns of london while the king's drums were beating and colours flying in germany in the cause of the palatine his son-in-law i could your lordship is aware do nothing but make an obeisance and a gracious give ye good day sir mungo malagrother licensed me to fall back to your lordship and now my lord if your business or pleasure calls you to the ordinary or anywhere in the direction of the city why have with you for dootless ye will think ye have tarried lang enough in the park as they will likely turn at the head of the walk and return this way and you have a broad hint i think not to cross the prince's presence in a hurry you may stay or go as you please sir mungo said nigel with an expression of calm but deep resentment but for my own part my resolution is taken i will quit this public walk for pleasure of no man still less will i quit it like one unworthy to be seen in places of public resort i trust that the prince and his retinue will return this way as you expect for i will abide sir mungo and beard them beard them exclaimed sir mungo in the extremity of surprise beard the prince of ways the heir apparent of the kingdoms by my soul you shall beard him yourself then accordingly he was about to leave nigel very hastily when some unwonted touch of good-natured interest in his youth and experience seemed suddenly to soften his habitual cynicism the devil is in me for an old fool said sir mungo but i must needs concern myself i that owe so little either to fortune or my fellow-creatures must i say needs concern myself with this springle whom i will warrant to be as obstinate as a pig possessed with a devil for it's the cast of his family and yet i maun e'en fling away some sound advice on him my dainty young lord glenverlock understand me distinctly for this is no baron's play when the prince said say much to me as i have repeated to you it was equivalent to a command not to appear in his presence wherefore take an old man's advice that wishes you will and may be a wee thing better than he has reason to wish anybody juke and let the jaw gae by like a canny baron gang hame to your lodgings keep your foot frae taverns and your fingers frae the dice-box compound your affairs quietly wi some ain that has better favour than yours about court and you will get a round spell of money to carry you to germany or elsewhere to push your fortune it was a fortunate soldier that made your family four or five hundred years sign and if you are brave and fortunate you may find the way to repair it but take my word for it that in this court you will never thrive when sir mungo had completed his exhortation in which there was more of sincere sympathy with another situation than he had been heretofore known to express in behalf of any one lord glenvarlock replied i am obliged to you sir mungo you have spoken i think with sincerity and i thank you but in return for your good advice i hardly entreat you to leave me observed the prince and his trainer returning down the walk and you may prejudice yourself but cannot help me by remaining with me and that is true said sir mungo yet were i ten years younger i would be tempted to stand by you and give them the meeting but at three score and upward men's courage turns called rife and they that canna win a living must not endanger the small sustenance of their age i wish you weel through my lord but it is an unequal fight so saying he turned and limped away often looking back however as if his natural spirit even in its present subdued state aided by his love of contradiction and of debate 
rendered him unwilling to adopt the course necessary for his own security thus abandoned by his companion whose departure he graced with better thoughts of him than those which he bestowed on his appearance nigel remained with his arms folded and reclining against a solitary tree which overhung the path making up his mind to encounter a moment which he expected to be critical of his fate but he was mistaken in supposing that the prince of wales would either address him or admit him to expostulation in such a public place as the park he did not remain unnoticed however for when he made a respectful but haughty obeisance intimating in look and manner that he was possessed of and undaunted by the unfavourable opinion which the prince had so lately expressed charles returned his reverence with such a frown as is only given by those whose frown is authority and decision the train passed on the duke of buckingham not even appearing to see lord glenvar lock while lord dalgarna though no longer incommoded by the sunbeams kept his eyes which had perhaps been dazzled by their former splendour bent upon the ground lord glenvar lock had difficulty to restrain an indignation to which in the circumstances it would have been madness to have given vent he started from his reclining posture and followed the prince's train so as to keep them distinctly in sight which was very easy as they walked slowly nigel observed them keep their road towards the palace where the prince turned at the gate and bowed to the noblemen in attendance in token of dismissing them and entered the palace accompanied only by the duke of buckingham and one or two of his equerries the rest of the train having returned in all dutiful humility the farewell of the prince began to disperse themselves through the park all this was carefully noticed by lord glenvarlock who as he adjusted his cloak and drew his sword-belt round so as to bring the hilt closer to his hand muttered dalgarna shall explain all this to me for it is evident that he is in the secret End of chapter fifteen